that contact I had, um, you know, was really fascinating and sort of getting a really, um, a really interesting perspective of and really like fascinating insight into what graffiti is actually about. A massive reduction in in quality journalism and what I mean by that is yeah, long form investigative journalism um, in particular. Um, and, you know, we've sort of seen this massive shift away from that and more towards like clickbait. The government quotes that it costs to um, clean up graffiti each year. Like I quoted that figure, but I was never actually able to get to the bottom of where that actually came from. Hello again, mate. Welcome to episode 96 of Toy Division. This episode is with Aston Brown who is a journalism student based in Sydney. And we're talking about his assignment project that eventually became titled Sydney Graffiti, Love, Hate and Addiction. And I was actually involved in some of the interview content stuff on that. But this is an interview with Aston and we go into some deep subjects. We don't just talk about graffiti. We actually talk about the state of journalism in the modern world, which I'll be honest, a lot of what is considered media or journalism is fucking shit. <laughs> and it's basically just lip service for big corporations and propaganda for governments that are in the pocket of big corporations. But anyway, let's not jump into conspiracy theories too quickly. Anyway, let's jump straight into the episode. Please enjoy. Okay, so as you would have heard from the introduction of this episode of Toy Division, I am actually speaking to someone who got in contact with me to tell some information slash stories about graffiti writing culture as part of a university project. Now, full disclosure, when this person first got in contact with me, I was very suspicious <laughs> and I actually thought he was the police. So <laughs> they, the fact that actually he ended up doing the project and shout out to his mate who got in contact. was like, this is my mate. They're safe. Don't worry. It's not the police. So I like the way this has kind of gone full circle. Now I'm actually interviewing this person. So how do you want to be referred to? Because some people want a code name. Some people want anonymity. How do you want to be referred to? Uh, you can just call me Aston. That's my, that's my real name. What a real life. birth name! Oh my yep. god! Quick, we're ending the interview yeah. right now. Quick. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not. I'm not the police. Um, don't have anything to hide. So yeah, you can you can call me Aston. Um, or, yeah. This is all. Oh, this is a very long game. A very, very, very long game. Uh, sting, which is just getting deeper and deeper. But maybe I'm just. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> it, it could be. You, you never know. Well, maybe Toy Division is and yeah. people have become very comfortable with it it's a bit like there was that um encrypted messaging app that apparently got infiltrated by the dea or something to do with i don't know it was australian federal police mm. basically arrested the person that had create, created the encrypted app and then essentially said look you're either going to jail forever or you we, you give us full access to this you give us a backdoor entry into this and then they basically had massive drug trafficking, selling things in Australia, messaging on the app and collected it all as evidence. Waited yeah. a few years. Anyway, that's what okay. Toy Division or Aston is. So don't worry, anyone listening to this, we're not reading your mind just yet. Yeah, that, so, could, be, that could be your play. 
but uh, yeah. pretty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, what I've been doing is I've been doing, obviously, 100% legal graffiti since 1999 with the end goal of busting a bunch of scumbag graffiti writers. Not all scumbags. Anyway, now I'm just giving away the truth. So to give a bit of an overview, let's start right at the beginning. Let's get some background info. So we've I've talked about a project, uh, you getting in contact. Well, before we even mention that is, I guess, why would you be, what are you studying? Because I think that gives people some context. Yeah, so I'm studying um, an undergrad in journalism or a majoring in journalism uh, in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and yeah, th this project started almost two years ago now, actually. Um, it was back in April of 2021. Um, and it was my first semester of my uh, time at university. Um, and I had to put together a, a two minute video package for my last assignment. And I thought, you know, I was sort of at that time developing a few contact uh, contacts um, in the graffiti scene. I thought, you know, that could be a good a good thing to do for the assignment. So it just sort of developed from that, really. And for people that I don't mean to be sound patronising, but an undergrad, that's an undergraduate degree. So if people are listening from maybe a different part of the world or they haven't gone and done further education, that's when, when people talk about a degree, the first degree that you would do at university level or college as they would call it in the yeah, United States or North America, it's an undergraduate degree. And then you do an undergraduate, then you might go and do a master's degree and then you would go and do a PhD. So that's giving people, cause I didn't know that until I actually did my undergraduate degree. I didn't know what a master's was. I didn't know what a PhD even was. So even though we assume people know, I think it gives them some insight to what that is. So that's interest. That's really interesting then. So you found that you were developing, you had a few contacts. Mm. Have, by the sounds of it, you've never been involved in graffiti writing culture yourself. No, like, yeah, I mean, beyond, um, nothing beyond just, you know, living, living in Sydney and being um, surrounded by quite a bit of graffiti. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing beyond that, you know, I, I never really had much of an interest in it, to be honest. I, um, yeah, I just um, sort of came into contact with a graffiti artist and um, yeah, from there, the, the story really developed. So what was it that you found interesting? Because I know that's a very vague question of me, but what is it that you found interesting? Because, you know, when it's a final project of a year of academic study, I know that not everyone does, does this, but they always encouraged us, and we didn't get to do cool things like this. This sounds really cool. I would have loved to do this. I probably, now if I go back to my occupational therapy degree, I could somehow wangle this into being occupational therapy, but <laughs> that was, at the end of my first year, I didn't even know what occupational therapy really was. Mm. So what was it that caught your interest? Yeah, so I I met this guy and I guess we were sort of got into good, good conversation and I guess we sort of got on quite well and I met him over a, a few different, uh, times and after a while he started telling me about what he did as a graffiti artist and you know I was yeah, really fascinated by him uh, he was quite um, open with me once we sort of had a bit of a bit of trust he was um, you know fairly open with me about what he did and what he went out at night and did um, and I was just you know really fascinated by it I suppose because it for me it, it it had been in my life um, in my life, you know, since I was a teenager, but I'd never really paid much thought to it. 
And I suppose that applies to, you know, the, the vast majority of the population where it's this thing that is everywhere almost, in, especially in particular areas, but no one really pays any real attention to it. So I think, you know, getting an insight from, from that, um, that contact I had, um, you know, was really fascinating and sort of getting a really, um, a really interesting perspective of, and really like fascinating insight into what graffiti is actually about. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, that's, again, this is why I wanted to talk to you because being mm. a outsider, because graffiti writing culture can be very insular for obvious reasons. There's a yeah, lot absolutely. of reality around it. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons as to why people don't want to really give a lot of information or talk about it because most writers who have been in it for a long period of time have had an arrest, a house raid. And I don't think people realize that. And this kind of secrecy, things have changed a hell of a lot in the last, since I've been doing 100% legal permission graffiti. Um, but lots of, um, lots of things have changed. And now there's this kind of interesting, not really a transition point, but the fact that people are openly putting things on social media, which for me is still bizarre. Mm. But I guess I always think, well, if someone's comfortable doing that, I'll give you an example, Aston, is people putting their tag pieces, as in their short for masterpiece. I'm sure you have heard that, but this is for the people that are maybe lay people listening to this. Putting that on there, I'm just like, that is just so dodgy. Because if you're doing illegal graffiti and you're putting it on Instagram, even people go, oh, it's a private account. That is not hard to track down. Yeah, I mean, I've seen plenty of that myself and it's on public accounts. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And then people go, oh, well, you know, I just, um, I just and it's like cybersecurity stuff. Like, I want to actually do an episode with someone who really understands cybersecurity and invalence, uh, surveillance at some point, because I think that's really important for people to understand. Also, I'm just a bit of a nerd about that sort of stuff and I want to learn some things. So you found it really interesting and, you know, you met that person, you said they opened up to you. Hmm. Um, I guess, what was your first impressions where you were like, because the way that people often, they they like, I never realised it had the history, the depth, the complexity and the level of commitment that people actually have to it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely the, the depth of it you know and and as you said the commitment you know people going out um at very early hours of the morning um night after night to put up um you know tags panels whatever it may be um at their own cost at the risk of um going to jail at the risk of really high fines or imprisonment you know and despite of those risks they do it night after night i just i just thought that was uh something worth pursuing you know and something worth worth my time and looking into i agree with you but i'm so biased <laughs> i agree <laughs> i find the whole graffiti writing culture still fascinating like, why mm. do we do what we do mm. um, because there's so many elements to that yeah and that's sort of like this there's sort of this emotional element behind it which means a lot of different things for a lot of different people but a big theme that emerged um, in part of uh, what I finally produced was this um, idea of addiction, you know, and, and becoming sort of tied to graffiti where it, it's become so ingrained in your your own um, psyche and your own personality that 
you sort of have this this great drive to get out and, and do it, you know. So I thought that was also, you know, really, really something worth pursuing and something that no one outside of the graffiti scene has any really idea of, you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that, Aston, because I'm in the process of potentially being involved in research studies um, in relation to craving, motivation, commitment, addiction, graffiti writing, subculture as a research project, because I think there's so much to what you've just said there, so much to it. And it's this whole thing of, I, I like it as well, because you're like, well, I grew up with it being everywhere around me. I hadn't really paid it much notice. And I think that when you're deeply into graffiti, you notice it everywhere. I've wanted to do a study for a long time. Do long time graffiti writers have um, a heightened uh, visual system to notice movement or colors and things like that? Because mm. I'll be out and about. I remember before I moved to Melbourne, I'd come here with my then fiance and we just walked around Melbourne all day. I think I had like one of these uh, step tracker things, Fitbits, whatever. Yeah. And I think we walked about 25 kilometers in a day, just walking around. And she, I remember her saying to me, she's like, how do you notice the graffiti in these alleyways? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, we're walking down a main street and you turn your head and you can see something like a hundred meters down the road, slightly, mm. that's, and you can literally see like the tiniest bit of it. How do you see that? I didn't notice it. I'm like, I guess my visual system and the way my brain is wired is noticing things um, very much so beyond the usual kind of perspective. But I think that then applies to everything because from a more scientific perspective, there is a part of the brain which starts to notice things. So the, you know, noticing something that's there, once you start noticing it, <laughs> you notice it all the time. Someone gave the example of when you start to notice Tesla cars, suddenly they're fucking everywhere. Mm. And I think that that's an interesting perspective. So then I guess going into the the more of the guts of the whole subject is, how did you find getting in contact with people who wanted to talk? Because I know there's all there was also, which I really liked, you gave it from a different perspective as well. So it wasn't just writers. It mm. was also someone who's very much involved with erasing, buffing, and disliking graffiti from a completely different perspective. So how did you get into contact with people? And other question on that, yep. was there any like, fuck off, who are you? <laughs> yeah, good good question. So I, I guess the, I guess I got pretty lucky at first to be honest. So I had that graffiti artist contact who I was um, getting to know a little bit. Um, and then the second person I found was Tim Phibbs. Um, and that was just me um, yeah, Tim Fimps, by the way, is a, quite a, a well-known um, graffiti artist. He does a lot of yeah. um, legal wars now. I'm sure you're well aware of him. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think most I people just... listening to this, if they are Australian, they probably would recognize Fibbs' stuff. Yeah. 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 He's he's everywhere. Um, I was just riding my my bike around Sydney one day and I saw a bunch of, bunch of dudes um, working on this wall. And it was around the same time I was interested in this project. We're in the really early stages. So I jumped off my bike and started chatting to them. Anyway, one of them was Fibs. I got his number. And then the next weekend, I managed to interview him. So I guess those first two interviews, I got pretty lucky. And once I had those, the rest came pretty easily because 
um, as you said, you know, I contacted people on the other side of the other side of the fence, um, mm. and they are much easier to get in contact with <laughs> graffiti artists, as I'm sure you'd imagine. So that was as easy as um, you know, sending a few emails, sending some, um, doing a few, calling up, calling up a few numbers, that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting you say that um, you're going to do a, a research project, which I, you know, I think would be great because part of um, part of my digging at the initial stages of the project was looking for academics to speak about graffiti. But I looked, you know, pretty hard and I uh, called quite a few academics and no one had anything to say about graffiti. So I think that'd be, you know, really valuable. Wow, that is my... And the thing is, I wasn't into academia at all until I actually went and studied my undergraduate degree of occupational therapy. And I then realized that I could potentially be like a quite a unique academic in relation to occupational therapy and graffiti because mm. I've been doing it since I was like 14 or 15 years old. And I think that it's just there's so, there's so much to it. And I said, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. I'm going to be working with some students in the UK who are doing a research study about graffiti writing culture. Because again, I had like a consultation with one of the lecturers and I gave her some more detailed stuff. So I was talking about how there's a group of people that are literally the only thing they want to do is paint underground slash metro systems in different parts of the world. And they travel all over the world in an interconnected web of people. And all mm. they want to do is paint a metro system to then get a photo, which probably would not, no one else would ever see it. And all they just want is a photo. And they literally go around the world collecting them almost like Pokemon. And she was just blown away. She was like, what? What do you mean this? What, so no one sees it? No. <laughs> and they're risking jail. Yeah. And it could just get erased straight away. Yeah. And they're in a foreign country. Yeah. And she's like, how does no one know about this? And I'm like, because it's a really illegal thing. And also, mm. I'll be honest, it is a weird thing to do. If I think about it from an outsider's perspective, you're like, you could either go to Tokyo, for example, go for a lovely week-long holiday in Tokyo, and you can go and see all the sights and experience loads of nice food and just experience Japanese culture and Tokyo culture. Mm. Or you can go to Tokyo and literally spend the whole time walking around trying to check out metro yards squatted down in bushes being chased around metro systems and potentially get arrested and jailed or you mm. could do that and come back exhausted mm. <laughs> so it's like what do you want to do what is that but I'm, I'm i think there's going to be some really interesting stuff coming out of the work i'm going to do with them and also i can then you know, I could call myself a flipping expert. Check that out. So, <laughs> yeah, that that sounds that sounds good. So, I actually want to chat about the person who was from the other the other side. Sure. Such. Now, who was that, and what what? So again, who was that, and what organization or kind of thing were they representing? So, I spoke to a few people um, on the other side of things, um, being you know the cleanup of graffiti. Mm -hmm. um, the first was Bob Aitken, and he is the chair of Graffiti Removal Day, which is an initiative um, that's been held in Sydney where um, every year um, communities around Sydney will, you know, clean up graffiti in the area. They provided the paint from this mm -hmm. organisation and they'll volunteer and clean up graffiti. 
Um, and then I also spoke to another man uh, named uh, Roger Norman, who's been a graffiti cleanup volunteer in his neighborhood for more than 13 years. So he was like a veteran, I guess, mm. on, the, uh, on the cleanup side of things. So yeah, those were the, the two main ones that I spoke to. And one thing I really noticed uh, was the chap who was saying it's got out of control and and I just re- I remember thinking listening to that I was like Sydney now in comparison to what it was like 15 20 years ago it is so clean now mm. it was so I just and I guess again that same thing once someone someone starts noticing something they see it all the time that's it yeah but I think it's a really interesting subject because I'm the kind of person where I'll go out with just a plastic bag and just pick up loads of rubbish in my local area. Right? Yeah. I'll go and do that. I do community cleanups. I'll go down and with a council run, uh, picking up litter from like rivers and getting rid of things and cutting grass and getting vacant lots looking nicer. But in my mind, I don't ever consider graffiti like a blight. Mm. Because I actually went on one of those and there was a really nice chap I started talking to. We're there with one of those grabber sticks, getting stuff out of a riverbank, loads of rubbish and lighters and plastic bottles. It's always plastic bottles, isn't it? And I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is really nice. And he's like, yeah, I do these sorts of things for my local community. You know, I do the litter collection things and, you know, helping keep the bushland all natural and stuff. And, you know, get rid of that horrible graffiti stuff and all that sort of thing. And I was just like, Ah, because I know <laughs> that people see it as this blight. Yeah, I mean, they, they see it the same as you would see you know, rubbish or plastic in the street, I guess, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. wonder where is where is a point where we can even discuss that? Because they are often so... They, they often are so rigid in their thinking and they're so determined that it is like this horrendous, evil thing that they just want to eradicate it. And I Mm. really felt for him because, as in the person you interviewed is talking about eradicating it, it's never going to be eradicated. Mm. And it will keep, and the more, and as I did comment, because I was featured in it, which was amazing, was the more they buff, as in erase things, the more people will do even more simple things. So the more times a wall gets buffed, the less time, the less frequently people will come and actually do intricate, complex murals and pieces and characters and colours because it will get eradicated super quick. So why would you spend six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty hours doing something that's beautiful and has, and again, now my opinion on that has changed because I quite like the raw damage stuff, but if you just keep erasing and buffing a wall, someone will just come back and do tags over it, which is what they hate the most. So I guess this it's this never-ending toing and froing. So I just really felt for him because these people, I think it gives them a purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think especially when I went out with um, Roger Norman, who's he's the local volunteer um, mm. in North Sydney, who's been cleaning up graffiti for yeah, 13 years. Like I said, you know, he was... I got a sort of classic quote from him when he was cleaning it up and he was saying, you know, it's a bit of a shame that I have to clean up this graffiti because in this case, it, you know, the, the guy has clearly got some talent. Those, those are his words. Yeah. But he hasn't asked for permission, so I have to take it down. So, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, that that's his approach to it, for sure. Well, 
you you would find this interesting actually, I reckon, especially from a outsider's perspective. There's a certain writer in Melbourne who was jailed for graffiti. Now people do go to jail. Anyone who's a newbie to this thinking, oh, street art graffiti, I can go and do that anywhere. You do enough, you will go to real jail. This is not like special nice jail. This is jail where you will go to jail with people that have committed mur um, murders and been rapists and stabbed people and robbed banks and things like that. So not to scare people, but, you know, being informed about what could happen to you is really important. But a certain um, graffiti writer, very well known in Melbourne, was jailed for graffiti. And now Melbourne, even the council, the city of Melbourne, is now using photos of his illegal graffiti which was in very public places as promotional uh, material for the city of Melbourne and how cultured it is. Now, if there could ever be a double standard, I cannot, an example of a double standard, I could not ever think of something. Yeah, I, I, I just astonished they've done it. And actually he sent me, um, well, I actually stole off his Instagram, but it's listed as, at this time, Melbourne endured seemingly endless reconstruction and empty city buildings were common terrain for urban explorers, squatters and graffiti writers looking to place tags on the city skyline. However, the scale and the precision of the tagging in this building transcended the usual vandalism. I mean, you're not a writer, are you? But can you not see the madness of double standards there with that? Yeah, sort of thing? I mean, ab absolutely right. Um... There's sort of definitely this sort of disconnect between the way the law works and then these changing opinions about graffiti where councils and um, different suburbs are welcoming it into their suburbs. Maybe that's through, you know, commissions um, to, to to Tim Fibs, for example, or that's, yes, yeah, just sort of like letting it letting it be there. So yeah, there's, de there's definitely this sort of a bit of a madness there um, between... Uh, the law of yeah, you're going to go to prison, yeah. but while at the same time, oh, actually, we, we we like this graffiti if it's in particular areas, and we like it if it looks like we have decided as uninformed people that that is art, is the epitome of like a rigid, myopic way of looking at anything, and also I would suggest it's a very money making. Uh, kind of strategy although we can have uh, graffiti on in Hosier's Lane because it brings tourists through excellent but if you then write on the surface just outside of that laneway without permission you will be arrested and put in jail so and every time I see something about Melbourne when I went back to Sydney recently at the airport it was like visit Melbourne and it just had photos of graffiti hmm <laughs> So yeah. it's being used to advertise Melbourne as this city of culture. But if you do it in a place or in a way or in a style, which is what I've noticed as well, because we've now also got street art. Oh, if you're there with a brush and a roller, it doesn't matter if you've got permission, that's okay. As soon as you get a spray can out, we're gonna rugby tackle you to the ground and kick you in the head. So it's this, I just think it's a very interesting, um, well, it's really annoying, actually, because I know many people that have been to jail. I, you know, I've had interactions with the justice system. And then to think that then it's being used as a promotional thing for a city which has 
jailed people or heavily fined them or put them on community service, I think is just so hypocritical. Anyway, I'm now ranting. <laughs> this isn't about me just ranting. So, so it sounds like then getting the information from the writers, other than me, because I was paranoid about you being police and whatever, that's just my own paranoia. <laughs> Um, but then putting all that information together, because it sounds like you've got a hell of a lot of information. Mm. How did you right. whittle it down to two minutes? Yeah, I mean, it I was... I guess that's what was... your undergrad is always all about. But how <laughs> did you pick and choose what was the most um, interesting and or thought-provoking as such? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a challenging process and I, and I learned a lot, you know, I think because of the the way it, it happened where at first it was just a two minute um assignment and then i sort of um went back and reviewed it over the winter break and, and started working on a longer edit where i got more interviews there was a lot of back and forth between interviewing script writing and then editing and then back to interviewing where ideally you just want to be doing um shooting um script writing and then editing so there was a lot of back and forth and um you know by the end of it i had like um, six or seven 30 minute interviews to cut down into 10 minutes right so it was such a challenge and, and I guess it was you know because of that it was like a really great sort of um, learning experience for me right because it was just after my first semester of university I just completed my first subject in journalism where I learned about these um, different aspects of journalism um, you know balance and objectivity and, and ethics um, and I had to sort of apply those to try to fairly represent each voice which is yeah. basically an impossible task right trying to pick the right um sections of the interviews to include like i had to make all these sorts of choices in the editing room which obviously impact um the way that impact impact the final product impact the way that your audience is going to perceive um each person that I interviewed so really really challenging um but you know how do i do it it took me a lot of time, a lot of editing. I had a was really lucky to have a really good um, editor, a senior editor at university, um, who was there to give me good feedback. But uh, look, at the at the end of the day, I um, produced something that um, you know I was I was proud of, and it, I think it it did a pretty good job. But it's it's never going to be perfect, you know. And there's always going to be discrepancies there where maybe um, someone watches it and they think, oh, you know, you didn't really um, give you didn't really explain their point as well as it could have been, you know, and that, that sometimes is just the, the way it is, you know, so definitely a challenge. Um, but I, I sort of got there in the end. Well, I think the thing is people are very quick to criticize and pull things apart mm. with anything, a book, a podcast, uh, a thing that's on YouTube, whatever. People are very quick to like dive into it and pull it apart. Most of the time, they don't actually realize how much time, effort, commitment, sometimes literally blood, sweat, and tears can go yeah. into a creative process. And yeah. they're like, well, you didn't fucking, why didn't you interview this person? You should have done this. You All right, cool. Go and do your own thing. Like, I have a lot of people contact me about Toy Division, and some, mm -hmm. they're, they're never really that rude, but a lot of people are like, what you should do is blah. Who you should talk to is blah. I want you to blah. And I'm like, who thinks it's okay to direct message someone who you've never met before and say, you need to do this? I'm like, if you want to do that, you sort that out. 
Oh, no, you won't, because it's loads of work and loads of commitment, and you're just asking me to do it for you. Now, I don't want anyone to then think suggestions or anything to me or whoever else is a bad thing, but I want to put that in people's minds. The amount of time and effort that you put into this. Um, so I'm looking at it. I've just brought it up on YouTube. Uh, Sydney Graffiti, Love, Hate and Addiction. 15,000 views. I mean, I think that's a lot, but I'm old, and I've got a friend who... His music, Frenic, who'll be in the background right now, one of his students were like, oh, what, you've only got like 300,000 listens to one of your tracks? That's nothing. Why have you got like, four millions? Like the, the numbers are so different. Um, and I love some of the comments that I've got here. I'll just read a few out to you. I don't know if you look Go at them. It. I wouldn't look at them if it was mine because I'd be like, oh, they might criticize me. <laughs> um, what is it? Um, uh, from Gabrielle Z 11 months ago. Man, there is one thing that people don't get. Graffiti is just fun. That's why it will always be a thing, no matter how harsh the penalties are. Pretty valid. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, from Bert, literally just Bert, one year ago. Don't think Bob knows what freedom means like most educated egos. There's a lot of commentary there, isn't there? I, lo I there love is, YouTube yeah. comments because people bring out <laughs> these big, massive, um, you know, these big, yeah. massive things. And then also from different style guy, shout out to different style guy. Can you link to Toy Division podcast? And then someone by the name of Ewan said it's on Spotify. So shout out to different style guy in Ewan if they're listening. Um, yeah, cheers, there is, guys. Yeah, cheers for that, guys. Um, and, they, and then people come out with these, you know, it's almost like they're shouting into the abyss. It's like no one's listening. Jo Joe's in the age. I even saw a cop in New South Wales on trains, scribble a tag on glass window on old XPT. It's like just gibberish, but I suppose it's the internet, <laughs> isn't it? So yeah. how did you yeah. find... Sorry, carry on. No, no, you go. I was going to say, I guess you then got feedback about how it was. Did you... Yeah, how did that go? Because, you know, putting it out there, I don't know if you've... I mean, I was going to I was going to ask you a question about other creative stuff because it's a very creative project that you did. Mm. But how was the feedback? Because obviously YouTube comments are not really a good way of judging how it's gone because normally it's without tiring. It's a lot of people making negatives, although they're mm. actually pretty good. But how did you how did you find the feedback from either the people that were involved or just in general? Yeah, so I guess I should first say I guess I sort of had feedback before it was even published, right? Because I was producing drafts. I think it went through, I don't know, three or four drafts before it. Um, I finally decided to, to put it up on YouTube. Um, and that was feedback from, you know, my editor at university. So I guess that sort of helped me. He really helped me guide the piece because at first he, he was sort of of the opinion that, oh, it's as a, you know, being a senior journalist, oh, it's probably too, too biased or to, you're leaning too too far towards the graffiti side of things so he sort of encouraged me to to move more towards to sort of give it a bit more is what we call in journalism balance you know round it out a bit by including voices that have a different opinion to the ones presented by the graffiti artists so he was sort of encouraging me to to um, go down that route which I eventually did but of course it's very hard you know and there's sort of this thing where um where a journalist can become so aware of their own biases and they want to, they want to sort of be, be perceived as um, balanced or um, objective. And because of that, they sort of go too far the other way. So they might, in, in this case, they might push the 
the narrative of anti-graffiti too far to to sort of assure the audience that they are you know neutral they are objective you know and actually on that point i got some once this was published i got some feedback from um fibs tim fibs who was um, obviously interviewed mm -hmm. um and we sort of exchanged a few you know text messages about it um and he, he sort of was on that of that opinion he thought you know you know what mate like i'm interested to know like what what your thoughts or what your thoughts are on graffiti because i've just watched this video and i feel like that you've been too harsh on, on graffiti artists and i think you know that was also to do with the fact that i didn't really talk about um this kind of stuff that he does nowadays which is a lot of um projects with communities and um street art and that sort of stuff so he i didn't really talk about that sort of stuff um so you know that that was interesting and maybe i sort of explained to him my process and how it sort of started out and how my my focus was on illegal graffiti um, because you know I, I met that I had that contact with that graffiti artist and that's sort of where it, it all started um, yeah so I think you know I, I, and I said you know maybe maybe this thing happened where you know maybe I didn't I wanted to sort of cover my own bias so I went too far the other way so it's sort of interesting the way that um, that can happen and I also think you know back to your point about um, getting feedback and getting negative feedback um, and people just sort of outright judging judging you all the time um, on the internet. Um, at the end of the day, you can't really control how people perceive what you've made, no. you know. Because whenever, even if you might you might put something out there that is um, balanced and fair and objective, and, and you're sort of representing all sides of the story fairly well, anyone everyone who watches that is going to take something different from it because they're going to apply their own experiences to it and they're going to take something different away you know so yeah it's um it's interesting i did get a bit of feedback from fibs um feedback from, from yourself which was uh positive which was good and i appreciated um and yeah also feedback from eventually from um <clears throat> sort of you know university and that sort of stuff who are really happy with it so well, yeah go. it was a, it was a long journey did you get good marks? Mar uh, mask? <laughs> Freudian slip. Did you get a good mark, if you don't mind me asking? I did. I For the um, the two-minute um, submission, I did did do well in that. Um, and actually, just recently, just a month ago, I um, actually got an award for this um, video. Uh, Congratulations. Was, thank you. Thank you. So, I actually, I published it um, at the in beginning of, of last year. Um, so, I was awarded for... Um, best um, long-form video story, which is any, you know, documentary or video story over two minutes um, at the um, Aussie Awards, which is a student journalism awards um, run by the Journalism Education and Research Association of Australia. So I guess that was like my sort of um, recognition, I guess, which was, which was good. So, okay, so you got the best long-form video story out over two minutes and that was in your first year of study and you got an award for that that's that's it that's right congratulations you must have been like i don't know if you i remember getting an award for something when i was younger and i was like it completely took me by surprise i was like what uh because i guess someone put me forward and i was like oh uh, uh amazing because i'm actually looking i guess it was meant to be two minutes originally but I'm mm. actually looking at what's on YouTube and it's 10 minutes and one second. So yep. it's it's a bit over. Um, but then I guess the other thing you've got as well is, you know, we're talking about here is you've also got the university who are asking you to do this piece of work, 
who are coming from a completely different perspective as well. That's right. Because they're wanting you to then tick the criteria for what will get you good marks and also covering their own ass that they're not then seen as encouraging an illegal act or illegal things. So it must be really, it must have been a lot of juggling of different things to kind of get right. And like you're saying, you can never yeah. get it 100% right. Yeah, so I guess just on that, um, initially it was, you know, through the university and I was doing it for an assignment. And then once I sort of started working on it a bit more, once the semester finished, it sort of became my own project, I guess. I was sort of getting um editorial assistance and advice from um an editor at university but it wasn't really through the university and, and that was actually one of the reasons i ended up publishing it on youtube it's because there were sort of issues that arose um legal issues that arose with the university um and they weren't they weren't actually happy to to post it on their on the you know student news site um so that's why i put it up on youtube in the end well one thing we do definitely need is we need journalists who do in-depth quality work because I'm sure you're aware of this. You know, you're studying journalism. You obviously mm. have an interest in journalism and, you know, how you're describing a balanced, in, I've came up with impartial, um, balanced, objective, fair, you know, I would say then as much impartial as possible, all these mm. things. That's what real journalism is to me. Mm. But I think that, and I don't, I, I just, I mean, this is nothing to do with it, but I guess from what I can see, the quality of journalism in a lot of ways has been kind of affected by the modern technology. Absolutely. Uses yeah, absolutely. Delivered. And I guess without opening up a whole Pandora's box, <laughs> how do you feel the last few years or the last maybe even decade or so of journalism has changed because I can see it's definitely changed but someone who's studying journalism how what and I mean I know you're relatively young compared to me but you know have you got anything to say yeah. about yeah, I can, journalism? I can, I can give it a shot yeah so I mean there's there's there has been you, you know you're right there's been um a massive reduction in in quality journalism and what I mean by that is, yeah, long-form investigative journalism um, in particular. Um, and, you know, we've sort of seen this massive shift away from that and more towards, like, clickbait, getting getting um, ad revenue up from clicks, right? Um, and I guess probably the main driver of that, or, you know, not probably, the main driver of that has been um, a massive um, plummet in funding for the industry, right? This was an industry that... Um, relied almost entirely on selling papers, right? Every single day um, you buy a paper and you read the paper. And that was, give, that was you know, very profitable for, for a lot of media, mainstream media outlets, right? Um, but now it's all online and ad revenue online is a fraction of what it was in print. And right? so we've seen a massive drop in revenue massive tightening of, of budgets um, in the media industry over the last few decades, which has meant that journalists, the journalists that are left, journalists that haven't been uh, fired, um, <laughs> they are left to pick up the slack and have to write more stories, have to produce more stories than they did before with less time, uh, which means they have, you know, less, less time to um, put more effort and go deeper into topics, right? It just means that they're responding to, to far more stories per day. They're often stuck at their desk all day. They're unable to get out of the office because they're just writing stories all day, right? So 
that that's my take you know yeah i that's and i think that's because i think unfortunately i mean i always i grew up you know i was born in the 80s i grew up seeing i wanted to be a journalist for a long mm. time because i i always saw and had an inquisitive kind of mind and i still do now so i do things like this podcast and stuff because i'm inquisitive to know about people's stories and mm. you know, all the things that make up the complexity of that world we live in there's so much to this amazing world we live in and often it's like reduced down to very simplistic binary this person that person this race that ethnicity this city that country when there's so much more to every single moment of a human being's life and i always i remember seeing some films when i was younger and there was like hero journalists in these storylines and i was like that's so cool they're like finding <laughs> the truth and you know telling stories and these these things where it's, if it goes to the media then it will help people because i've always had this really kind of altruistic i think that's the right term isn't it altruistic that's um it. thing where i want to help people so i saw that as a way i could help people in the end mm. i became a therapist so i actually do directly help people but mm. i think one thing which i really get concerned about and i think this is through my line of work is these sensationalist headlines about studies and research and these ways that you're not just but they're just like the journalists may not even read the actual paper and people are still looking at the journalistic world or journal journalistic no uh journalism world mm. as like a truth and a fact and these things and it can skew i don't know if they got social media which is a whole other fuck fest i was about to ask if i could swear that it's my podcast i swear <laughs> as much as i like but i think that then sensationalist reporting is just so it's almost like we're just making ourselves less and less complex when we have the most complex amazing brains possible so i really because i really loved the fact that you did a objective balanced and fair and maybe you can't always everyone views it like that but mm. i think that the type of journalism that it sounds like you're passionate about and actually want to do I think it's becoming less and less common and it's something that needs to be preserved and celebrated because that's how we stay informed. And I just, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you're right, you know, and I think I did paint a, paint a bit of a grim picture before and you've, you've sort of done the same. But I think, you know, as you said, there's, there's always going to be a need for it. There's always going to be um, a desire from the public and from people for good, good quality journalism. Yeah. And that is happening, you know, it, it has, the industry is going through a state of flux and because of social media and, and the internet, but that's also opened a lot of doors, right? We've seen like lots of independent outlets um, opening up, you know, just opening up a new YouTube channel, right? And you can, you can be a journalist now if you have a YouTube channel with a, with a bit of a following, you know? So I think um, the industry is going through a state of flux um, and things are changing um, and there is a lot of this like sensational stuff that that you you were talking about but there also is um there also is still still good journalism it's just being funded in different ways yeah and that must be annoying for you who's studying an undergraduate degree in journalism and then someone sets up and calls himself a journalist and you're like what is your actual qualification here <laughs> you're an independent journalist who literally just gives their opinion and it's like that's not really journalism but i but anyway i'm just i have no idea i haven't studied journalism i just would also say to people is be really careful of things like because <laughs> i've got a real i mean i'm from the united kingdom and the, the 
the power of the media, as in newspapers like The Sun and The Daily Mail, as mm. it does here, but the power that those newspapers have in swaying public opinion and bringing right. about is was disturbing to grow up around and mm. then become aware of and then seeing the power of those publications. But then the thing like The Daily Mail is, again, it's News Corp, but their website is like the lowest quality journalism it's literally just photos of women in bikini and sensationalist sex stories. So they're trying to appeal to what people like. People like drama. People like suspense. Mm. But I think that I completely agree with you is that that funding, it comes down to is people, are people being paid? So mm. question would be then, as someone who I think sounds like a almost like a next level journalist in training, even though you produce something which got you a flipping best long form video story beyond two minutes awards in your first year. So that's a good start. Um, what news sources would you say, say if we're talking about a news source that's reliable, balanced, I know you're like, this is a horrible question to ask me, but balanced, <laughs> impartial, objective and fair. What suggestions would you have maybe if people do want to keep up to date? Cause I actually avoid the new, the news because I can't stand the way it's reported. So I know I've just opened up a Pandora's box there, but have you got any suggestions for people who want to stay informed, but also be aw being aware that then impartial and fair is different? Yeah, that's a, it's a hard question. And I guess it depends like what you're looking for out of the news, right? You know, yeah. are you looking for news that just affects you? You know, are you looking for local news? Are you looking for national news? Or are you interested in international news, right? So I guess it depends like what you're interested in and what you're trying to get out of reading the news, whether mm -hmm. it's out of interest to stay informed, to make decisions about, you know, who you vote for, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I guess in the in the mainstream realm, um, like I would look to the ABC, right, because they are publicly funded, so they don't have any commercial interests, unlike um, the Murdoch Media, for example, or Nine or Ten, boo, where they have a lot of business interests in what they're producing. Um, and of course, you know, you, you can see those effects of of those um, business interests, like with Murdoch, for example, every single one of their papers across the country, and the which there, there are a lot of them, um, during the um, Iraq war or before the Iraq war, every single paper supported the invasion of the Iraq war yep. from the Murdoch media. And that's been the same with the Murdoch media's um, denial of, of climate change, right? So. Those are sort of examples of how business interests or ideolo ideological interests can drive reporting and um, news that you're reading, right? So I think um, something like the ABC, where they're government funded, they don't have those business interests, um, that can be a good source of news and they have the funding to, to do good reporting and they have good programs um, like Four Corners, for example, that does, you know, good, hard, important um, investigative journalism mm -hmm. um, so I guess that would be like a good mainstream media source if you're looking for it for your yeah. sort of day-to-day -day news and, and um, more detailed stuff um, and then beyond that you know it's it's really up to you I think consuming a range of sources is good supporting um, independent media is, is always um, a bonus like I know Michael West Media does really good um, investigative reporting um, about all sorts of stuff but particularly, you know, corruption in government and um, in corporations um, in Australia. Um, the Guardian is, um, again, not funded by commercial interests, so that can be a good place to look to. 
Um, so yeah, I guess it's about, you know, consuming a range of sources, keeping your mind open um, and yeah. And How not obsessively check it. That's perfect. That was ideal because you're very, um, you were very fair. You did give a opinion and you might have, you probably heard me go boo, boo when we said News Corp. Um, I won't, uh, yeah. Because um, <laughs> again, that's who owns the Daily Mail and the Sun in the UK and it's just, yeah. Yeah, anyway. And Fox News in the US, which is just uh, anyway, that's a whole other that's a whole other me ranting about things. Oh, the podcast episode, yeah, that's a ten episode podcast series about how yeah. screwed up Fox News and the like are. Anyway, um, but I think that's some really good suggestions. And also, if you do, you know, we're talking to I know people in different parts of the world, but one of the things which I have found such great delight in finding when i moved here is my wife watches a pro or watched a program that was obsessed with a program on the abc called mad as hell and i had never seen that before and honestly i mean because i love comedy stuff it mm. even now i know it's kind of on well because the the host the creator is basically retiring whatever but just this satirical taking the piss out of politicians and society and i just I think that's the thing is, is that news can be very, very serious for obvious reasons, mm. but it can become this obsession about being updated and informed. And actually that can sometimes be actually detrimental to our physical and mental health because Absolutely. being informed is important, yes, but also being able to actually focus on what you can control. Absolutely, yeah. As in how you talk to people, how you sleep, how you eat, are you doing some exercise and movement every day? Are you keeping your stress levels low? Are you doing a job you enjoy? All these things, you can control that. Not always, you know, doing breath work, doing some meditation, doing some yoga, we can control those things. We cannot control what's happening in Afghanistan when they've completely messed up the whole thing. It's been a horrendous thing. That's obviously horrible and being informed about how wrong that whole situation has been is important but constantly looking at it every, every day isn't always good for our very advanced, but often very simplistic brains. So just a yeah, word of warning absolutely. there to people. I, yeah. I think also, you know, if you're sort of stuck in that checking and um, constant 24 hour news cycle, it can, always, it can also sometimes sort of give you uh, the wrong picture. You sort, of, you sort of might miss the full picture because you, if you're just constantly reading these updates you might you might be missing the, the wider picture and in that case i would say like step back and and consume other media that that might offer a sort of um, deeper analysis into a subject that yeah. isn't you know it wasn't just published today and isn't just giving updates about today but it's you know looking back on the last year or two you know and and sort of understanding analyzing how we got to where we were today so i think that's sort of a a good way to approach it if you're if you're interested in, in that sort of stuff and there's this very ancient form of uh, visual and auditory media called going outside in nature without um, <laughs> a phone or something like that. I know that sounds really, that sounds really sarcastic, but that you can, the big problem we've got is there's so much of like a, almost like a fire hose of information and stimulus to our brains and our bodies and our, you know, our internal soul, whatever that actually is, is that sometimes we can get overloaded and actually having time when we're actually almost doing like a, a detox or kind of a withdrawal from any type of stimulation can be difficult, but picking and choosing when we do and don't have input is really important because it's very easy to get overloaded. So 
last question, I promise, because um, I always just chuck loads of random questions at people who are like, Christ, you haven't sent these to me before this. I haven't sent you any of these, actually, so you've done very well. Thank you. <laughs> I guess the question would be is, do you have any plans in the future to do any other graffiti, street art? Uh, I say hip-hop culture, not really. Do you have any other desire in the future? You're like, no, I've done this project put it together, I've got what I want, and now I'm on to the next things, and the next things, and the next things. Because I know markings-wise at uni, they you can't just do another version of this again, but do you have mm. any other further interest in kind of the subject matter? Yeah, I mean, if, if there was uh, reason to, I, would, I wouldn't say why not. You know, if there was something new that I hadn't already covered um, that was interesting and and sort of newsworthy enough and and worth investigating it and then yeah sure i would i would definitely be open to it i think you know a, a part of the the a part of what i produced in the end and sort of a part of it where i sort of didn't quite work it out was this sort of um idea it's quoted in in the um in the film that i made i think it was the estimated 300 million dollars um that the government quotes that it costs to um, clean up graffiti each year. I was never at, like I quoted that figure, but I was never actually able to get to the bottom of where that actually came from. You know, it was just sort of said, and I and I did try to to figure it out. I, I contacted um, various departments and government. I even sent a a, a letter in the mail to the Fuck. media. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the only way to contact them. The the media um, cell in in the um, in the police, the only way to contact them, at least when I did, was through a letter in the mail. Right, they make it very difficult for a reason. Um, so I never really got to the bottom. I asked them those questions, like asked them about, you know, how much does it actually cost and how are you coming up with this figure. But I never actually, you know, I just didn't actually get any answers. I just beyond generic statements, um, and I couldn't really pushed that any further as a student with no resources behind me there was really no no way to push that any further so I think that aspect sort of was unanswered in what I produced and I think that would be interesting and interesting to look into um I agree with you I I, I honestly really agree with you because the reason why is because these figures get thrown about left right and center people go to court and have been told they've committed 1.6 million dollars of damage how is that calculated? How is that billed for? And I know, I know there are companies who charge thousands of dollars to eradicate something from a surface, especially when it comes to train, train panels, train surfaces. They will charge thousands of dollars and there's no one checking up on that. There's no one the checks and balances of how much that's cost, how long it took so for example, and you can see how annoyed I am by my tone of voice, <laughs> I saw someone in the UK, now the UK, the whole thing is all the trains are actually on loan from banks. So the banks actually wanna make money out of every court case, which then pushes up the figure the judge sees it, it's one point, you know, 100,000 UK sterling of damage, which is, how is that calculated? But saying that this person had committed 7,000 pounds worth of damage, right? on a train with a piece that was, it was intricate, but it was not above the windows. It wasn't, so that's for about 14,000 Australian dollars. It literally, they spray some liquid on it and they power wash it off. That takes 10 or 15 minutes, right? How on earth did that cost 7,000? Because what happens is they bump it up with things like, 
oh, that train's been taken out of um, service. So therefore, we estimate there would have been 30 passengers on there for six hours at a cost of blah, 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 blah. And they'd add it all up together and turn it to this mm. nice little package with a bow on the top, metaphorically, present that to the judge. The judge who's churning through hearings, people end up going to jail for six months, a year, two years, three years. Now, I'm not saying graffiti shouldn't be punished, but there's someone needs to, oh, I've, I've often thought I would love to go undercover and actually be part of these, find out where these figures are coming from. Because yeah, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I think, I think you'd probably also find that you have these private companies. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. I'm just sort of hypothetical here, I guess, but you know, you could have these private companies that are that are charging government yeah. and just profiteering um, heaps, right, of, of this sort of activity. So. And no one's checking on it. No one's mm. checking on it because they're like, oh, yeah, okay, boom. I have had conversations with mates who are writers before. We should create our own private company that buffs trains. But then we're like, well, we're just adding to the problem because then if all those companies, no one's really checking on them, people are just cashing in on it. Boom, 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 boom that massive figure you talk about is quoted, the general public go, oh my God, my tax money's being used to clean this stuff off. I hate those scumbag kids. I bet they're drug addicts as well. And I bet, so there's so much to that, but then it's an excuse to put people of all ages in jail for, and again, I'm not saying people shouldn't be punished for, well, punishment is a whole other thing, but. I'm, I'm not saying like make it all free and easy and no one gets charged. I'm not saying that. It is an illegal act. If you do it, you should know the consequences. But then to bump these huge convictions up over invest non-investigated figures which are being created by I just think it's bizarre. And there's cases where people end up going to jail longer than someone who's maybe stabbed someone or like sexually abused a child because they painted some fucking trains. Mm. And that is not, you know, th there was a, a, a graffiti writer in the UK, rest in peace scheme, who was in jail and this and killed himself because he was just stuck in jail for so long. But it's like, well, he's a scumbag graffiti writer, so pff, fucking deserved it. It's like this, this complete disconnect from the reality of, anyway, I'm just fucking ranting now. So anyway, <laughs> I'll bring this to an end, but maybe we could discuss this off air because it sounds like, well, maybe this could be something in the future. So yeah, yeah well, just, just to add to that, I think, um, you know, that that would be a, yeah, definitely as, as you've sort of highlighted an interesting area to, to look more into. Um, but, you know, beyond that, beyond graffiti, I am, I am interested in, um, yeah, any any sort of stories, especially along this this vein of um, you know sort of sub subversive activity that is um, often not talked about or not documented. So, yeah, actually, you know what? If if anyone's listening as well, you're you're welcome to reach out to me as well. And if you if you have a story or you know know someone who has a story that's, that you'd be interested in, um, you know, illuminating or showing or showcasing, um, you're welcome to to reach out to me. Um, my Instagram is Aston. R Brown, A-S-T-O-N-R Brown. Um, or you can email me at aston.brown at proton.me if you want to contact me via email. So yeah, that's just my little spiel on, on that side of things. <laughs> I, like you, I like you using a proton. And I'll put all these details in the show notes. So if anyone was trying to frantically write that down, which I was trying to do and then thought, nah, I'll just listen back to this. Um, I'll put this into the show notes. So, and I think that's a great shout because there's a lot of people who have really interesting stories and that, 
kind of that under the cover sort of stuff. That's what the journalism that I find so interesting because there's so much assumptions and stereotypes and misinformed opinion about so many people. For example, people who have got a drug problem. So mm. I am also going to put a link to your Sydney Graffiti Love, Hate and Addiction. Um, amazing edit that you got that award for uh, in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check it out, I'm just going to stop recording. So that's episode 96, Done and Dusted. Thanks to Aston for putting up with me for going on some fucking non-graffiti related rants. If you want to check out or keep track of what's going on with Toy Division, best thing is our Instagram, Toy Division 2. That is Toy Division 2 on Instagram. And as you probably have noticed, if you listen to this regularly, there's been a real slowdown in the number of episodes coming out. Once it gets to episode 100, I'm going to take a 12-month break and just see where this thing can go. Because there's so much amazing feedback I get about Toy Division. I'd actually love to do it as a full-time job. So <laughs> either get rid of my therapy job, which pays me pretty damn good coin every hour, or just talk to you lot. I know what I'd rather do. Stay tuned for episode 97, which should be out sometime in the next millennia. A couple of episodes to go, and then a 12-month break. Peace out, Toy Division.